isn't God good? Isn't God know that he's faithful to his word? Like there's a promise God's given you. He's going to be faithful to that word. You're not putting your hope in something that is just like, you know, just out there and hopefully it works out. God is going to work it all out. Amen. You know, it's interesting because God has an identity. He's Jehovah Jireh. How many believe he's your provider? Right? He's Jehovah Shalom. He's your peace. And, and maybe it's like an egg in you. You just need to tap the shell a little bit and let the peace just run out into your life. Uh, he's Jehovah Rafka, our healer. He's going to heal your body. And he's Jehovah Sid Canoe, our righteousness, which means if you're dealing with shame and guilt, that the, he's Jehovah He's Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. But Satan also has an identity. And you know what it is? Defeated foe. <laughs> See, he can't win. Like Satan can't win. And you're afraid that he's going to win in your life. He can't win. There, because he, do you know in Revelation, Satan can't even get along with the Antichrist? Isn't that crazy? How do people miss this? He can't even make his own thing work. Why are you so afraid of Satan? Right? He's a defeated foe. You're more than a conqueror. I think I'll take that. Right? Any, any conquerors, more than conquerors in here? Okay, so let go of the fear. Let go of that. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a devoted family series on Mother's Day. And we're going to have a table up here on Mother's Day. And I'm going to bring my entire family up here. And, uh, and we're going to start our Devoted Family uh, series out with, with my family up here. And, uh, and we're going to talk about family. Now, in the past, to be honest with you, I don't really think you care about my family. But, but we've had enough people say that we should come up and try this. And my wife's been on me to do this. And so to keep her happy, I'm going to do that. But... She goes, wow. <laughs> but no, we're going to do it, and we're going to go through it, and then we're going to talk about being single. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about raising kids. We're going to talk about all of it over the next weeks after that. And so you want to be part of the devoted. It'll go right into June, and you want to be a part of that series. But I'm going to do a, a two-part series, and, uh, and, and, and um, it, it's on mental health. And when we did the life hacks, uh, the mental health, after we did that session, one of the number one responses we got from people was, we wish you would do more on mental health because it's become such a major issue in our society. And uh, I, I always get shocked that they call depression, depression mental health. That's more, it sounds more mental illness to me, but it, you know, and, and being healthy in our mind would be to overcome that. And there's some things I need to address with it. First of all, um, everyone in here has had depression at some point in your life. You may not have identified it as depression, but every one of us have had a season of depression at some point, and you just thought you were having a bad day or just something were happening. We need to understand that, one, just, just, uh, just as we physically get sick, there are times when our mind can get sick with things, and we've all gone through those seasons of depression. And I want to talk today how we get to those places, the doors we open, the things that we do to get there. And there, during 2020, during the pandemic, the mental health hotline 
said that the activity on the hotline went up 900%. They're looking at the stats of, of 2020, and they're just like, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, think about that, 900%. That the CDC said that one out of four young people under the age of 30 considered suicide. That antidepressant medication went up 300%. I mean, think about that. And those people that take those antidepressants don't just get off of them. They begin to think that that's the answer to all their problems, and they stay on them. And the side effects of those antidepressants are horrible. God never intended you to be on antidepressants even for a long period of time. But there's a couple of points, important things that I need to bring up before I get into talking about mental health. The first one is it is a real biological there are real biological reasons for depression. There are real biological reasons for this. It's not just bad. Like there are people that, that have had issues with depression. And um, maybe it was hereditary. They got depression. Their mother had it. Their, grand, their grandmother had it. I mean, and, they, and they had real issue. It wasn't bad decisions they made. It wasn't all of the things they've allowed it. They just had it. First, for that person, one, I, I want you to know this. Jesus paid for generational curses on the cross so that you wouldn't have to take on the depression of your parents or grandparents or beyond. There should be a better amen than that. Because it's not just it's not just depression, it's heart disease, it's cancer, it's all those other things that, you, that it was broken on the cross. The Bible is very clear that it was broken on the cross because it's all part of death. But there are biological things that are there. Then there are things where we open the door or we get into habits that promote depression in our life. And, and I want you to hear this. Most of the depression in the world around us is not hereditary. It's stuff that we've done in our society where we've opened our mind to things and we've allowed our minds to literally become re rewired. And you need to understand how important it is for this. And, and by the way, we, we, in the church, we're like, when you become a believer, one of those things that you need God to deliver, if you have a drug addiction, how many agree that God wants you to deal with a drug addiction? We have one of the worst addictions we've ever seen affecting not just the world but people in the church in such a way that it's rewiring our minds in the way we think and it's called social media and everybody over 60 said amen 50 said that could be in the 20s like you're crazy i'm done listening to you it is killing us Depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It's a signal. It's trying to tell us that something needs to be looked at. We need to look at something. Now, the second important point, here's the second important point, is it's a, there's a stigma around this topic. Now, I, I wear glasses. In fact, if you've been at Farmington any length of time, you've noticed that there was a point where I was wearing them and then not wearing them, and then I put them on every once in a while, and then I realized I couldn't just read at all. So I, I put them on. And, you know, no one saw me differently. In fact, if anything, you think, you, you, you're thinking, I think he got a little wiser, actually. I, th I think he actually started. 
preaching better. But, but none of you stopped and said, I should pray for your eyes. You just accepted it was, there was no stigma. You didn't think I was weird or strange for putting on glasses. You didn't look at me any differently other than putting glasses. But isn't it interesting how when someone's going through depression or they're going through a mental illness of some sort, how we start to almost categorize them as crazy or I'm going to avoid them, or we almost cancel them out of our life because I don't want to have to deal with them. And we get this attitude, they just need to cheer up. How many know what I'm talking about? They just need to be happier. And, 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 and it's interesting how when someone's going through it, you begin to realize it's just not that simple, that there's something going on. And you have to realize that, that when someone is going through that, we shouldn't pull away, we should actually go too run into that situation to help them walk through that. But I want you to know this. Your illness is not your identity. It's not your identity. It's not who you are. You're not a crazy person. If you're going through it, you're not losing your mind. Right? You know, it's always funny when people say, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. You probably can't afford to do that. Right? You should keep all the minds you can. But it's the, it is a reality that you're, you're not losing it, you're going through something, and just as something, just as if I came to you and I said, hey, uh, something's going on in my body, you would come around me and pray for me to physically be healed. Your brain is an organ, and when someone's going through something, people shouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed to say, I'm going through something in my mind, will you pray for me that God will put into order what needs to be put into order? Right? But, but listen, and in fact, this is in my notes, but I'm going to just say this. If, if, you have, if, if you were diagnosed with cancer and you eat McDonald's every day, here I go picking on McDonald's again. You get diagnosed with cancer and you eat McDonald's. There, part of the reason you might have gotten there is because of the choice of eating McDonald's. You were putting in your physical body something in you that's killing you. Right? When you discover that, you change what you're eating to promote health in this physical body. Does that, that make sense, right? How many would say that makes sense unless you're addicted to McDonald's? It won't make sense if you are. But if you're not, that makes sense. People would say that. In the same way, when they pray for your mind, you have to take a look at what you've been feeding your mind because that re literally rewires your mind. You say, well, how, how can your mind be rewired? Your mind is such a great organism that it can actually adapt. And if you want to read more on this, there's a book by Caroline Leaf called Switch on Your Brain. Write it down. Caroline Leaf, Switch on Your Brain. And it's not a big book. Okay? I don't know that there's a lot of pictures in it, though. Just warning you if you're a picture book kind of guy or girl. Okay? But it's called Switch on Your Brain. And it talks about how literally how we, by what our environment around us is rewiring the way we think or, or wiring your mind to think in a way that promotes certain attitudes in our... It's an incredible... And it is a scientific book that proves biblical principles. She's a scientist. She puts the science out there and then she says, oh yeah, in the Bible it says this. It fits into what I've discovered in science. So when you look at it, you don't have to say, well, that's just some spiritual book, some person. No, it's not. God's desire is to see you free. If you're going through that right now, God's desire is to see you free. In the first service, um, uh, someone brought in a friend, 
And he said, uh, he says, I've been, I'm struggling with demons. And I said, really, what are the demons you're struggling with? And he goes, mental illness. I said, you couldn't have come to a better service. I mean, just perfect. God's desire is people be free. That's his will. That's his desire. Galatians 5 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know, the Bible also promises that we're going to have trouble in life. But Christ said, I've already overcome the world. I will overcome that thing in your life. You don't have to work harder. I'm going to do it through you. And here, here's the amazing thing to me. Uh, if you're here and you're not going through this, there's this sense of this message isn't for me. Don't get that attitude because it might be. You know how many people I, I know that, there, in fact, there's one I'm thinking of right now that was complaining about how someone who is bipolar was affecting them. Because th when you get bipolar, there are, people, there are people right now at Bethel's Rock that might be messaging you. Messages my wife. She's like, it's really getting kind of annoying because it's, it's every day with these messages. And they're bipolar. I had someone, you don't know this, but about six months ago, I had someone texting me every day in this body at one point threatening, threatening to kill me while I was driving from campus to campus. He goes, I know where you're at. One point it got so bad, I actually put a gun in my car. And my wife goes, what are you doing? And I love the brother. He came to Christ in the ministry in Richfield, but he became bipolar. And this is what happens. We think all people struggling with bipolar or depression are violent. A very small percentage of those who are going through it actually end up being violent. But we treat, whenever we see someone go through it, our response is often, I don't want to get in that because they may kill me. Come on. You know how rare that is? And if they do, do you know where I go? Oh, I'm in heaven. Does that make sense? So we treat, we like throw everyone into, the, into that same thing, and they're not there. So we have to understand that when someone is struggling through an illness that's dealing with the mind, we need to run in, and just as we would with any other, we need to pray for them. We need to declare health into their body and into their mind and be there for them to, to stand with them. You know, in the Bible, because we think, well, if, 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 you were, if you were a strong believer, you won't struggle with depression. That's interesting because one of the great prophets of the Bible, Jeremiah, struggled with depression. Did you know that? Here's, here, he, he, he struggled, he struggled, he wrote about it in the book of Jeremiah, and he also wrote the book on depression, dedicated to depression, it's called Lamentation. <laughs> look, at, look at this, look at this verse in Lamentation. I have been deprived of peace, I have forgotten what prosperity is, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord is gone. I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness, the gall, I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. It's all bad. It's like Eeyore. That's like dedicated to Eeyore. You know, I, you know my, my favorite uh, one, Winnie the Pooh character, was Tigger. <laughs> right? Right? And then you have those Eeyores. It, 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 how many know some Eeyores? Right? 
But there, there is a sense beyond an Eeyore that this is depression. All they think about, my life is in total upheaval. Nothing in my life is working out. No joy for anything. Cannot see God doing anything in my life. Those things I hope for are not happening. All I can think about is what was done to me, my bad decisions, filled with frustration, and how all of this is pointless. I just want to die. If that's where you're at, you are in a point where you're struggling with a mental illness and you need people to pray with you. You need help. And you say, well, if I tell anyone, they'll think that I'm not godly enough, I'm not spiritual enough, or I'm a bad person. Can I tell you right now, that is the lie of the devil coming against you to try to keep you in that place and you need to step up. We are not going to ridicule you. We're not going to reject you. We're going to love you. Because God has given us the power to overcome depression and to overcome those things. You know, the Apostle Paul, some would argue he's the greatest apostle that ever walked the planet. You know, he struggled with depression, a season of depression. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Look at this. So that we despaired of life itself. We are just ready to quit, be done with all of this. It, this is something that will attack. It's no respect of a person. It will attack each and every. And, and if you sit there and you look at it and say, oh, look, they just need to cheer up. They need to pull their bootstraps up and figure it out and just be happy. No, that's not what needs to happen. What they need is people to come around them and lift them up. I want to show you this. And Elijah, who would arguably be the greatest prophet that ever lived, we see this story played out. And I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. I mean, Elijah was with Moses in the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and I mean, he was an honored prophet. Well, El Elijah is in this battle. There's, the king is King Ahab and Jezebel. And, um, and then you got Elijah. And then you have all the prophets of Baal sitting there. And they're going to prove whose God is alive. Who is the God? And they have a sacrifice that was laid out there. And, and, uh, and Elijah's like, okay, let's call fire from heaven. Whoever does it will prove whose God is God and who's the best. So the prophets of Baal, over 200 of them are there, and, and they put the sacrifice on the altar, and they start marching and calling on their God to come down, the Baal to come down and consume the sacrifice. And I love Elijah because he's a trash talker. I love him. He's like, he might be asleep. You should yell a little louder. And they're cutting themselves, hey, shed a little more blood, you know. He's just mocking them while they're trying to call their God. Like, he's not holding back. And I'm like, I can dig Elijah, man. If I were to come back as a prophet, it would be Elijah, you know. And he's just mocking, and they can't do it. And they go on and on and on, and no fire. And Elijah says, okay, my turn. He says, but it's not wet enough. We need, it wet. We need to make it wet like Minnesota, <laughs> like right now. Right? And they pour the water on it, and they got the thing drenched, and it's overflowing. And, and then he, he calls on God. He doesn't cut himself. He doesn't dance. He doesn't do all. He calls on God and says that fire came from heaven and licked up all the water, consumed all, even the stones, that it literally sucked the entire sacrifice up. I mean, he is on a high. Like this, you can imagine what that was like. Like I just, and, they, and then all the prophets were done away, or all the priests of Baal were done away with. I mean, like he's like, everything I prayed about is now happening right now. 
and there was a drought in the land, and he goes out, and he says, yeah, that cloud's coming. You better run, Ahab, because the rain is coming. Sure enough, the rain starts coming. And then it says at one point he took his, clo- his coat, and he tucked it in his, in, his, in his belt, and he took off running, and he ran so fast he beat the horses. Now, that's incredible. Like, that's a guy with an adrenaline rush. I mean, he's just, I would have loved to have seen that, right? And he gets to this place, and I think the reason he ran so fast, he's thinking, I want to be there when Jezebel finds out she's wrong. Like, like she drove me nuts, and I don't want to be, I want to be there. I want to hear what happens when Jezebel finds out what happens. I want to see it. I want to hear her say, I was wrong, Right? And he gets there, and this is what Jezebel says when Ahab gets to her. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me. Now notice, <laughs> it says she sent a messenger. She didn't send somebody to kill him. She sent a messenger to tell him. And then she says, the gods who we just proved don't exist. Right? He was just in the presence of 200 priests of Baal that wanted to kill him. And he stood with courage and strength and he was mocking them and he's doing all of those things. Now this woman sends a messenger that doesn't even have a knife. Just words. Says, let it, see if, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them, if I don't end your life. And it goes on and says this, but Elijah was afraid. And that's where depression starts. That's where depression starts, fear. See, it's when the enemy brings fear and he starts getting you afraid of things. I, you've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. You say, I got a fear of heights, and you, you treat it like a teddy bear. Why do you do that? God does not give anyone a spirit of fear. All fear is from the pit of hell. It doesn't matter what it is. If you have a fear of heights, it is from the enemy, and it won't be long, and you'll have a fear of a lot of other things. When you allow fear into your life, not a, he said he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a uh, Sound mind. Does that mean Satan sneaks in, not in obvious ways. He sneaks in ways that we accept. So we accept the fear of darkness. We accept the fear of heights. We accept the fear of eating peanut butter. There is an actual fear for that. I know. It's so good. How could you be afraid of it? Look at that. But he allowed fear to come in, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, which, by the way, is where he was called, was Beersheba, he ran back to the place he was called. And look at what he did there. He left his servant there. And that's what you do when you're starting to enter into a place of depression. You leave people behind because the enemy convinces you you don't need people to solve this problem. You got to get alone to do it. I got to get to a lonely place. I got to be alone to deal with depression. It's just going to be me. And you can even say, me and God got to get alone to deal. Friend, you do not leave people, you don't leave them behind when you're going into depression. You need people in your life. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Go back. I didn't finish. 
I haven't had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What does his ancestors have to do with this? Right? He gets to a point where, where literally he leaves his servants behind, and we, and we think, I can't, we think, I don't think I can do this. The, that's a partial truth. You can't do it without the Lord. The truth is, I don't think I can do this, but with Christ, I can do all things. I can do all things. Elijah entered this, this, uh, this cave of depression and do it because of six things, and I want to take a look at them. First one is life's imbalances. Life's imbalances. Maybe you're not going through a season of depression, but you'll discover characteristics of things you're doing that you need to, you need to help ask the Lord to help you with. And here's the first one, life's imbalances. There's a book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari, and he wrote, wrote this in the book. And this, by the way, this took a lot of, I spent a lot of time preparing for these two messages. That's why they're only two messages because it, it required, is that the DoorDash thing? Did someone just DoorDash something here? <laughs> that's, doesn't that sound like the DoorDash button? Yeah, that's right. During the pandemic, I did DoorDash just for fun. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I was so bored because we were used to having meetings at night. I'm like, that's DoorDash. <laughs> we got to do something. Sit home and watch Netflix, and we would have been depressed. Here's this quote that Johan Hari said. We need to stop talking as much about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalances in the way we live. The imbalances we really, we take for granted how we live our life, the crazy lifestyles we live. Do you know um, that there's this, this writer of the guy who wrote this, uh, this, this book I was reading on imbalances. He said in ski slopes in Colorado, that 30 people die every year in skiing accidents. And you know what they are? They hit trees. So if you're going skiing, please, just stay out of the forest, right? Chances increase drastically, you won't hit a tree, okay? I know it just makes sense, but hey. Did you know 90% of the injuries and death occur in the last hour of the day? And this is what he said. The reason for that is they're very tired and they're overconfident. Very tired and overconfident. Don't we get like that? We get tired. We don't know we're tired, but we're overconfident that I can keep going. I can do a little bit more. And then we start seeing problems. And we get to a point where literally we stretch our place, our, ourselves beyond a healthy place. We were never designed to be sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food-laden, sleep-deprived, friendly, frenzied pace of modern life, Stephen Allard said. You were never designed for that. You were never supposed to go through that. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil chasing after the wind. You know what's interesting about that is we in America don't have, we think, oh yeah, uh, you know, I need to just be content with the one handful. The problem is, is we already have the two handfuls and we're trying to fill both feet. We're way past one handful of tranquility. We, this didn't work having the second, so now we're trying to get more because they have marketed and convinced us that more is better, that I need more, that I get to get more, that it's just better, it's better when there's more. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls than trying to pursue that. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing, and I think this is huge, 
huge for all of us. We compare ourselves with others. We're constantly comparing ourselves with others, constantly. I, I think it's called the, it should be called the antisocial problem. You know, movies, for heaven's sakes. Do you know there are ratings on movies? Have you ever stopped to consider who put those ratings there? Think about it. Ungodly, unbelievers have said it is not healthy for someone under the age of 18 to watch this movie. They're ungodly unbelievers. And they recognize this is not healthy. Right? It's insane that we think somehow our kids are any different. Our kids can handle social media. Can I tell you, your kids cannot handle social media. They are not at the mental capacity to handle what happens on social media. It is like putting a gun in your child's hands and watching them enter into depression. And you do it because they've convinced you everyone else has got it, so somehow they should have it. Why would you want your kids to be depressed and suicidal like all the other kids who have it? One out of four kids under the age of 30 have considered suicide. It's, it's incredible to me. Listen, mom, dad, you're not called to be your child's friend. This is what I would tell you on Mother's Day. You're not to be their friend. You're their parent. They don't need any more friends. They need a parent. They need a father and a mother that said, no, you're not staying out past midnight. And all the teenagers in here, I'm going to hate that message. Right? I just want to encourage parents in here that are feeling like, because the world is like messed up. Right? And you should stand up and stand for something. And you got to stand for those kids. And those kids want you to do it. Right? So it's crazy. We, but social media. Can Just get this hint. Okay. I know there are a lot of people who love social media in here. Social media at the current pace is doing more harm than it is good. But listen, listen. How you post is as important as what you post. The world doesn't believe this because they don't believe in spiritual things. I happen to believe in a spiritual thing. If you post something with a spirit to show everyone you're better than they are, that spirit will be received and it will minister that to the person that receives it. And it will cause depression or discouragement inside that person. I'm not saying all posts are bad. What I'm saying is you're posting, hey, look what happened to my family. And you're not posting to say I'm better than you are or I got, uh, God's blessed me more than you or I'm just, and you don't have that spirit. You're just showing what God did in your life and you're celebrating. There's a spirit that goes on that and people celebrate that. But there are a whole lot of posts where people are insecure and they're wanting everybody to think everything's great in their life and they post it with that spirit and it is received with the demonic spirit that was put on that post. And then people get to swear, my life's terrible, I'm no good, I'm horrible, because there was a spirit on it. And you're looking at me thinking, Pastor, you're crazy. Maybe I'm not the one that's crazy. We don't, think about this. You know what's crazy? We don't need to know what our neighbor had for dinner. 
We don't need to know that you love your husband. Uh, that never made sense to me. If you got to go online to post that I love my husband, do you love him? Or are you trying to convince yourself you love him? We do not need to know that you're driving to Mankato to have your tires replaced. We do not need to know that you are out with friends. We do not need to know that you bought new shoes. Right? It's incredible. How many are sitting there thinking, that's embarrassing? Right? But it is. What is it that we're posting? And what is it we're trying to tell everybody when we do it? it it's, it's literally promoting an environment of depression. That we're like, if we're not going through a season of depression, it's like we're promoting an environment to get other people in depression. Especially when kid, when I was growing up, I didn't know my friends were all hanging out without me. And I was doing great. Now, whenever my friends hang out without me, I'm feeling depressed because why ain't I with them? I'm like, oh, they don't like me. It's terrible. No, maybe they could be friends together. Like when we're alone and we're doing friendly things together, we don't need them to be with. I mean, the, the insanity that it is promoting in the minds of your kids. And you say, come on in my house. The moment you allow them to open up those accounts, come on, let the craziness in. I want my kids to be depressed. So I'm going to let them chew and eat on the things that feed their mind, feed it into their mind. Well, I don't want my kids to be left behind. Friend, friend, listen to me. You won't, they won't be left behind. They'll be left healthier. It would be better that they ate at McDonald's every day and weren't on social media, and it would be healthier for them. Comparison is the thief of joy, Theodore Roosevelt said. Galatians 6, 4 to 5 says, each one of us should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. Let me, let me read this again. Now, I know there, there are a bunch of social media people in here, and you're not liking me very much. I'm sorry. But listen, listen, look at this. Each one of you should test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves. Say it with me. Not with the atmosphere, the metasphere. I don't even know what that means. Without comparing themselves to someone. For each one should carry their own load. You weren't called to do what they're doing. You weren't called to be that. Just be who you are. And research, research is showing that it's rewiring our brains, that all of this. In fact, the creators of social media, all the creators of social media, and you can see this, they do an interview on all of us, they're not even allowing their children to watch because they say it's so destructive to the child's brain. The creators are saying that. We, we sit here and we look at the cocaine addict and we think that is horrible that, that they're going. And you want to get free from drugs. How many believe that when you come for, to church and God saves you, one of the things God wants to deliver you from is cocaine or, or whatever the drug is, meth or whatever it is. You believe that? Do you know what God wants to deliver you from? Social media. Okay. Whew. That was a little chilly. 
we need a little selective ignorance. My wife was going to give me, uh, or she read to me an article, a research, a peer-reviewed journal that was sent to her, and she read it to me, and I tried to find it because I want to give it to you. But what it discovered was, because of the 24-hour news cycle, and because of social media, the reason you feel tired all the time is not because you're doing more, it's because you're exposed to more. And it's exposing all of what's happening in Ukraine 24 hours a day, the political environment, the pandemic environment, and it's all so emotionally draining that it's causing you to be so tired all the time that you don't want to spend any time with actual people. And it's actually causing you, social media is actually causing you to be less social. And it was a, listen to this, a peer-reviewed journal means that someone did a study on it and peers studied to make sure that it was actually happening and it was, it was reviewed and approved. Here's the second, third thing, ruminating self-talk. Ruminating self-talk. That's like when the cow chews the cud and he spits it up and then he chews it again and he spits, swallows it and chews it again. It's, it's where ice cream comes from. <laughs> I just helped you. The next time you have ice cream, you'll be thinking, this cud without, the, even with the chocolate is terrible. It, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets it up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself, according to Brian Tracy. How are you talking to yourself? The power of your words and your agreements. What are you agreeing with? Here's the fourth one, inability to process pain in a healthy way. How do you process pain? When pain comes into your life, how do you process it? Listen, discouragement built on discouragement built on discouragement if you don't deal with discouragement, one morning you will wake up and you'll be in depression. You have to deal with pain. You have to grieve it. You have to process it. When someone dies in your life, when something bad happens, you didn't get a promotion or that, that friend uh, no longer wants to be your friend or, or something happened with you financially, all of those discouragements, if you don't deal with them, uh, will end up one after another built up form depression. Do you have a process of dealing with the discouragements of your life? And if you think you do, ask your spouse. They'll let you know if you do or not. Here's, here's number five. Here's number five. Isolation and loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. The first problem in the Bible wasn't, wasn't sin. It was solitude. God said it isn't good for man to be alone. You need people in your life. Now, look around. Or look around. You see this room? See all these people in this room? You need those people. You say, but I, I look at, I don't know that they would be my friend if I were to just meet them, but you're in the same church together. You're, bro you're part of a body together. Before you leave this place, when, I, when the last prayer is prayed, prayed in this service, the next stage of the service occurs in that lobby and in this room. It's called community. It's called meeting people you didn't know. It's called praying with people that you know. 
and don't know, but they need you to stand with them. It's finding out how their week went. It's, it's the community that happens. A service is far more than just worship and prayer and a sermon. It is the community that happens outside these doors where we discover what are you really going through. Like last Easter, there was a gentleman that was part of this campus. I asked him, what are you doing for lunch? He said, well, just going home. He's not married, by himself, single. He was just going to home and sit there. I'm like, well, you're, you're coming to our house. We cannot let people, those who are single, slip through the cracks because we refuse to have community in the lobby. Depression is overcome when we do it. And here's the last one, and, and I'm going through this quickly, I know, is spiritual warfare. Pastor Zach, come on up here. Scientists struggle with this one because they cannot put it in a context they can, they can monitor. But how many know we're in a spiritual battle? Right? You can, you can monitor loneliness and all that, but we're in a spiritual battle and the enemy is going to attack you with whatever weapon he can. And one of those weapons he's going to try to use is depression. And he's looking for the weak spots in your mind that he can attack and slide on through. And so when you let the spirit of fear into your mind, Satan goes, that's an open door. I'm coming through that door. Will you stand? We have to recognize that there is an enemy that's coming after you. And sometimes after your greatest moments in life is when he comes to attack you where you're at. I want to give you an opportunity. If you're going, if you bow your heads for a moment, Pastor Zach's going to take it from here. But just bow your heads, would you, or your, close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head. Close your eyes, whatever. If you're struggling with depression, raise your hand and then put it down. You know you are. Put it up. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Hands. If you've struggled with depression, raise your hand and put it down. Okay, hands all over the place, all over the place. Right now, God is going to do a miracle in your life because it's his desire to do that. Do you believe that? His Holy Spirit is here right now, and he's about to do a miracle in you.